Well, I, I, do we, are we into evening yet or is it still afternoon? It feels like evening because it's dark out, so good evening. Um, I feel like I should address the elephant in the room. Uh, everyone uh, that so far has been leading at the front and is male does have a moustache. That's right. Um, it's not necessarily personal preference. It is the month of November. We are growing moustaches for charity. Um, so if you like the look of, of the moustache or, or you don't like the look of the moustache, please come and find one of us afterwards and pledge money, either to get us to keep it or to take it away. Um, either, either is fine. Well, <clears throat> I wonder whether you've ever had that classic moment. Speaking of moustaches, there's something I sort of associate with um, awkward family gatherings. Um, I don't know why particularly. I can only think of one member of my family that had a moustache and they weren't particularly awkward. Um, but I wonder if you've ever had that experience at a family gathering where an aged relative says, my, haven't you grown? I can see such a strong family resemblance in you. You look just like, insert a relative there. Um, the emphasis is on that transformation that's occurred in you since they last saw you. But the observation requires a contrast to what you are now. So it requires them to have noticed you've changed and therefore you were something different. Well, with, with Christmas just around the corner, we're probably all thinking about family gatherings a little bit more, maybe a sort of a family extravaganza, the likes of which we've not seen for a couple of years, really. Um, and at those family gatherings, family resemblance, um, whether it's because you've grown or whatever the reason, it, it's strong. I, I remember a particular a, a photo of a family gathering of mine where it was, it was me, my sisters, my cousins, and, and our kind of other halves. And I just remember immediately noticing how much all the people that were not blood relatives stood out. Everyone else was ginger or blonde. There was, and, 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 every, and all of the, the non-family members had kind of dark, very dark brown or, or like really black hair. And it was immediately apparent that they were not part of our blood family because the family resemblance was so strong. I won't go into who has whose nose and, and the eyes and everything else because it just gets a bit embarrassing after a while. But that family resemblance is something that we use a lot. And it's something we use to gather people together and group them, but also to help us tell ourselves apart or maybe to exclude other people from, from that family or that group or whatever it might be. Well, we are thinking about five lies that are ruining our lives. Um, we've done three so far, so I'm number four. So far we looked at, we started with, with Brogan. He talked about how we weren't, uh, I'm going to try and not just say the lie. He was addressing the lie, you are not wanted. But we instead heard that we are desired, we're known and loved by God, and that he has chosen each one of you. James then the week after that said, well, you're hopeless. Or rather, he didn't say you're hopeless. In fact, we're empowered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Lee last week was addressing this idea that you can't be forgiven. But there is no thing that any of us could do that can't be forgiven. Of course, we know that's true. This week, we're addressing the next one, um, which is, you don't belong here. You don't belong in church. You do, that's the punchline. Uh, just as a spoiler there. Um, but let's read the passage now. So we're in Ephesians. We've been working all the way through. This week we're in the second half of the second chapter of Ephesians. So that's Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'm going to start at verse 11. Um, I'll give you a second just to find that, whether you're getting it on your phone or in the Bibles that are not in the pews, so I won't say the Bibles in the pews, that would be foolish. The Bibles you brought with you. Um, So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at, the time you were, at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him, We have access to the Father by one Spirit. We both have access. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our passage starts, I hope you noticed, with the word therefore. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you'll probably have already heard that whenever we come across the word therefore in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, what's it there for? If you didn't know that, you're going to cherish that for the rest of your life. Um, The point is, if you're saying therefore, you're referring back to something that's already happened. And in that sense, this week's passage and the whole of this week's talk, I guess, the message refers back to what Lee was telling us last week, to the first half of that chapter. Lee's talk, which was excellent, by the way, if you didn't catch it or you'd like to catch it again, um, check out the podcast, St. Thomas Talks, or go and watch the live stream again. It focused around that first half of the chapter, and it's told the story of redemption that's at the center of the whole Christian faith. Now, it sometimes seems like, oh, maybe we shouldn't just go over it again and again, surely it'll get boring, but I've found that the story of redemption at the center of our faith never really gets boring. So I am gonna just go over that again a little bit. It talked about how we were all dead, but through Christ, we are alive when we place our trust in him from death to life. That is a pretty big leaf, and a leap, leaf, leap, and it's a great narrative for a really good story. The lie was that we are unforgivable, but we learn that in fact we're forgiven. Sometimes I think that we forget the depth of our forgiveness in God and what that really means. Because I guess I see it in a way... Um, 
we forget that we haven't just been forgiven, but that everything we were forgiven for is also dealt with. Because if I forgive someone, um, I say, that's fine, you don't need to worry about it, stop, stop stressing, I forgive you for the action that you have taken. But I don't always cancel out the consequences of the action that they've taken. That's not always what I mean by forgiveness. I can think of a story in my own life where this happened, um, and brilliantly, some people modelled Jesus to me. I'm going to tell it to you now. Um, this story is the story of the only car crash I have ever had. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it happened in someone else's car. Would you believe it? So I, I could not afford a car. I borrowed a car from some very lovely people who I also happened to be living with. Um, so I was really all in. Uh, they lent this car to me. It was, it was great, a little Fiesta. Um, I drove it up to Scotland, drove it all around the Highlands. Everything was fine. I came back here. My folks are here, but I was living in the south at the time. And I visited family. And then I was just on the final journey home down south. And somewhere around Darlington, a blizzard hit. Um, it was quite cold. It was the winter. We shouldn't be surprised that it snows. Um, but the road was covered in ice that I couldn't see. I believe they call that black ice. I uh, didn't really believe it was a thing until I realized as I was steering to turn back into the slow lane that the car was continuing straight. Um, it was quite unnerving, and I span several times and uh, smashed into the central reservation and ended up facing the wrong way in the fast lane. No one else was going really in the fast lane or going very fast because there was a blizzard. Everyone else would be much more sensible. I hasten to add I, I was only doing 30. Um, but... Nevertheless, there I was. Now, the first thing I thought was not, oh no, I'm facing the wrong way in the fast lane. The first thing I thought was, this is not my car. <laughs> How am I going to explain this? How can I possibly? I'm living with these people. They have let me into their family home. They've shared everything with me. They're providing for me. They've just given me this car for a week so that I can go off and um, do some stuff in, in Scotland and visit family. How am I going to do this? So I should have phoned the police, but instead the first thing I did was phone the people that owned the car and uh, said, I've had, a, I've had a crash. I'm really, really sorry. I hope you can forgive me. And the first thing they said was, absolutely, we forgive you. Don't worry about it. Have you called the police? Clearly, I hadn't yet called the police. We hung up. Uh, I, I called the police. I got it all sorted. And... To progress the story a little, eventually I got home. The car was written off. On the phone to um, that same lady uh, later in the incident, I remember assuring her that I thought it would probably buff out. Um, it was one of those central reservations that's made of steel wire and it was wrapped around the front axle. So it probably wasn't going to buff out. But I was confident that, you know, this might be okay. It was not okay. There was no way that car was coming back. I had completely totaled it. I got back and I knew I was forgiven. It was awkward because I did still have to live there. Um, I was working for a church at the time. These people were members of the church. There really was no escape from the awkwardness. Um, but I knew I'd been forgiven. They'd been really clear that they didn't hold anything against me. It was okay. But I was so aware that this car was only about two years old and I probably needed to replace that for them. I needed to kind of cancel that debt. But I couldn't. I think at the time I had maybe a couple of hundred quid um, uh, in, in the bank account, definitely not enough to, to pay for any kind of a car, really, um, that would come close to what they'd lent me. And I remember having this conversation with them where I was very serious. 
Um, and uh, I said, you know, I've been thinking, I've got together all, all the money I can find, and um, I think, I can't remember the length of time I gave it, but I think it was five years. I think if, if I give you money over five years, I think I can probably pay for the damage. Um, and <laughs> they just laughed at me and said, look, Adam, we would never have given you the car without being willing to pay the costs of it being written off. We didn't expect it to happen. It's not that we weren't disappointed, but when we said we'd forgiven you, we meant it was covered. Now, they were fairly wealthy. They were able to absorb that cost. I wasn't actually kind of crashing them out of house and home. But that, for me, was the picture of forgiveness that we get from Jesus. The act and the behavior was forgiven, but I held on to the fact that I had a debt. I held on to the consequence. But that had been covered as well. I had been redeemed, not just forgiven. True forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, redeems us. Redeeming is, is paying for, right? It's not... Um, it's like paying for in someone's stead. Um, it, it's not, we often think of it as like redeeming a voucher, um, but that gives us the wrong idea. It's, it's, it's paying for something so that someone else doesn't have to. We know that it's not just a finger snap moment when God changes his mind about the consequences of sin because humanity, um, our selfishness, the wages of sin will always be death. That doesn't change. But redemption meaning to buy back, allows God's integrity, his integrity to be maintained. And instead of us paying the consequence of sin, God pays it. It's still paid, but he pays it for us. He forgives us and he redeems us. And then he returned to life and he was reunited with, with God the Father. And he brought back our lives too so that we can also be reconciled, which means to bring back together and be reunited once again in that closest of family relationships that humanity was always designed to have with God. We are not just forgiven, we're redeemed. Our debt is paid and we're not only redeemed, we are also reconciled. We have been brought back together with God. Reconciliation is really what this passage that we've just read this week is all about. It's bringing humanity back together with God and bringing people who seem poles apart together with one another because of what Jesus has done. The example that this letter uses for those two groups of people that are poles apart is the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, you might not have come across that before, but hopefully we'll, we'll dig into a little bit of it now. Um, they were very different. Uh, if we start in verse 11... The Gentiles, which is the majority of the church in Ephesus, these are people who are not ethnically Jews. And in verse 11, it says um, a whole heap of stuff, and, and it says, Ooh, by birth, um, that you are Gentiles, and you're called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which in itself seems a bit funny to me. I don't know why anyone would walk around calling themselves the circumcision, but they were very proud of that. Uh, and they were so proud of it that they would identify other people as being uncircumcised. That was the primary um, identifier of those other people. 
Being circumcised wasn't unheard of in the culture of the day, but it, it wasn't also really that common, and it wasn't exactly like a, a badge of honor that you would kind of write home about. But for the Jews, it was the very essence of being close to God because it was the way that they had been told to identify themselves as God's people. It identified them as being in as opposed to everybody else being out. But it's still a little bit funny because it's saying in this first verse that we're looking at here, verse 11, it's saying that you were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves. No one that's reading this is really that bothered about circumcision. In fact, it's a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit, I wouldn't want to, I don't care if you call me the uncircumcised because who would want that? But what we're getting into is that there's something that the Jews have that the Gentiles didn't have. And we learned about earlier on in the passage. And that's that relationship with God, that special place. Now, in verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. It tells us that we, we are not always part of the club. So if you're a Christian now, I suppose you're, you're part of the, the Jesus club, Right? But the Gentiles weren't just not part of the Jesus club. They also didn't have any prospect of ever becoming part of the Jesus club. Because if you read it in verse 12, it says they were separate from Christ. They're not saying separate from Jesus, the person, but separate even from the concept of a Christ, a Messiah, a savior, of a figure that would come and save people and reconcile them to God. That wasn't even a concept that was available to Gentiles. If it was a lottery, which it's not, and that's not a particularly good analogy, but if it was a lottery, it's as though the Jews are queuing up, waiting to see if their numbers have been called, but the Gentiles, they, they haven't even got a ticket. They don't even know the lottery exists. That's how far from God the Gentiles are. And then in, later on in that section in um, in, in verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says that they were without hope and without God in the world. That's a whole heap of different to the Jews who identified themselves as the people, the family of God. The Gentiles, they didn't even have any hope. Now, verse 14, as we, as we move on, Jesus is, is peace. The Jew and the Gentile can now be part of this same family rather than being at odds with each other. It's not just that they were completely poles apart. They actually didn't really like each other that much because for the Jews, being separate was important. Being distinctive and therefore divided from other people was key to them staying part of the family. And the Gentiles kind of found the Jews a slightly odd, zealous group of people that they didn't really understand and weren't part of that context. But in verse 14, Jesus himself is our peace. He made those two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus brings peace to a long-standing enmity between Israel and everybody else, not by picking a winner and saying, actually, Israel was right after all. Guys, just get on board but by removing the very rules that created the division in the first place. We need to remember this because where we as Christians create, however unintentionally, 
a false image of the church where you have to be a particular kind of person to be welcome, whether that's based on, on gender, on race, on even just your personality, you know, being loud or quiet or bookish or really not bookish, those divides aren't solved by picking which one of those is the best one to be and just running with it. Instead, we need to work with Jesus in removing the rules that we create that make these divides even a thing. The difference of person still exists in the church. We're made intentionally with difference. The first difference we read about in Genesis is being male and female. It's a distinction that we read in the Bible, but it's the rules of our cultures that mean difference leads to division. The law of the Old Testament um, that Paul is talking about that creates this division was supposed to be a way of celebrating those differences and celebrating the distinctiveness of Israel. And in so doing, Israel would then bless all the nations, but humanity couldn't get it right. And difference led to division and not distinction. So if you're here today and you've ever been made to feel that for whatever reason, you don't belong in church, I'm sorry. It's not true. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome to join the family of God. In verse 16, in one body, in Jesus' body, he reconciles both the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody. Read that as just meaning everybody. He reconciles us all to God through the cross. So each of us is reconciled to God. We've been brought back to him. We have that relationship again. And then in verse 17, everyone has been told the message. Those that were close to peace, those that were far from peace. And then in verse 18, through him, we both, everybody, have access to the Father, to God, through the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is freely available to everybody and anybody. Now through Jesus, anyone and everyone can be members of God's household. His family is free to everybody, is open to everybody. No one doesn't belong in church. We're reconciled not only to God, but also to each other, to everyone else. Jesus is the cornerstone. That was the first song we, we sang. Sometimes we, we don't always get what cornerstone is, but it's, it's a big stone that, no surprises, sits in the corner of a building that takes a bunch of weight and is also then the measure, the, um, the template for where that corner of that building is built up from. It is the very pattern of the building as well as being the foundation on which it sits. Jesus is the cornerstone on which the peace of our unity is based. When we kid ourselves that we can have peace without Jesus, that we can just somehow uh, kind of love each other and not be bothered by others' difference just out of our own intent and will, we'll eventually find that there is someone or something about someone that we can't quite manage. We think we can do it because we're really tolerant people 
and we can just not hang around them that much. But eventually, we'll find that we aren't that tolerant after all. We need Jesus. We need his spirit to be reconciled to one another. We don't just need to be the same as each other and therefore not have problems because we all agree because we're all the same all the time. We do need, however, to have the same saviour. Even though we don't need to be the same as each other, there will be a family resemblance. So when you're part of the family of God, there's a likeness, a bit like we were talking about at the start, that sort of, ooh, you look just like great uncle Bob. There will be some family resemblance in the church. I presume I'm not talking about a physical resemblance, but with family members in the church, that that might be the case. But no, Paul says in one of his other letters that we are all being transformed by the Spirit to be more like Jesus. Jesus is the great uncle, though he's not our great uncle, that we are all becoming like, that we all look like, that when we meet people they say, oh, you just look the spit of, or at least that's the hope. Our family resemblance is the Holy Spirit. It's the thing that we see that links us together. Wouldn't it be great if when that aged relative next time says, my, haven't you grown? You look just like you're... They weren't talking about an obscure relative or even a non-obscure relative. Wouldn't it be great if instead it wasn't an aged relative of your normal family, whatever normal means for you, but a relative of this family, a relative in God's family, the church. And when they see you after some time, they say, my, haven't you grown? There is such a strong family resemblance. You look just like Jesus. That, that's the unity and the reconciliation that we need. We need to have that family resemblance. So to recap, before we were totally alone, with no hope, no God at all, not even any access to him. But now in Jesus, we've been brought back together with God. We've been reconciled. We are part of the family. In that family, Jesus hasn't removed our differences or distinctions as people. Instead, he's removed the constructs that make those things cause division. There's no space for division in God's family. There's only space for peace because Jesus is peace. It doesn't matter where you've come from, it matters who you've come to. I can't remember if that is a famous quote or just one that James Brown mentioned earlier in the year in one of his talks, but I love it. It doesn't matter where you've come from, but who you've come to. Jesus, the cornerstone in our family, Jesus is the foundation and and he is the thing that matters. And in our family, we are different but we all share a family resemblance. God lives in all of us by his Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, 
just as the Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to each other, even though it looked like that was impossible, and even though that didn't happen overnight and there were bumps along the way, which is evidenced by the fact that Paul had to write this letter about this stuff in the first place, we can be reconciled not only with God, but with each other. Within the church, the big C church, the church of every Christian in the world, there are what we would call divisions. But there's no place for division in the family of God. It's our responsibility as Christians to remove the constructs that cause difference to be division so that we can move forward, reconciled not only with God, but with one another. The same is true, not just of the church, but of us and other people. Maybe you are from a family with division in it. And um, no one really likes to hear this, but it's your responsibility to sort that out. Not only you, but it is your responsibility. We have been reconciled with God, so we can be and should be reconciled with one another. Within this church family, there are probably, maybe not, terrible divisions, but there are probably divisions. And we are called to be reconciled to one another. But most of all, there are people that think they can't be part of this family. They can't be part of the church because they are, insert here, And we're responsible for that. Because everybody is invited. Everybody is part of the family. Everybody's included. So the lie that you don't belong in church is just that. But it's not necessarily one that we are guilt-free in. The good news, as I've already said, is that we don't have to hold on to that guilt. But we do need to move forwards in a different way. And I would suggest that this passage talks about the Spirit as being that key way that we move forward. The Holy Spirit is what fills us up. We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And then in the final verse, verse 22, in Jesus, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and um, Lee or James to, to join me here as we think about maybe how we might respond to what God is speaking to us through this passage. I think that God wants to fill people with his Holy Spirit. That's a really safe thing for me to say because it's pretty clear all the way through the Bible that that's the case. But specifically here tonight, I think God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Firstly, there are some people here who may not have got down with the Jesus thing before. You are maybe just introducing yourself to him. And it seems like he's quite a generous guy and you'd you'd quite like to be part of this family that we keep talking about. God wants you to receive the Holy Spirit. So if you've heard a bit of the story of 
of Christianity, of that redemption, of, of what Jesus does for us. We're going to pray in a moment, and I'd invite you to join in with that prayer as a way of saying, yes, I have done wrong. I've sinned. I need your help. I want to turn around and put my trust in you. There are also some people here, I think, who they've been baptized, they're Christians, they know Jesus, but maybe they've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't even know really what that is. It's an experience they've not had. If that's you, we're also going to pray for that because we read in the Bible uh, in Acts 19, for example, people can be baptized, they can be Christians and not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean it can't happen for you. It just means we need to ask. And when we ask, God gives. And then finally, I think a little bit like what I was talking about right at the end, there are some of us here where there's some resentment or discord or disunity in our families, in our friendships, maybe even in our church. And where that lives in us, that's a space that the Spirit can't be. But when we invite the Holy Spirit in, He'll displace that. Because time is not a great healer, Jesus is. And through his Holy Spirit, we can be healed too. So let's pray now. Why don't we stand? So first of all, if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, you haven't yet said, I'm a Christian, I want to follow him, Join with me in saying this prayer and if you've prayed it a hundred times, you can pray it again as well. Um, God, I recognize that there are things about me and my life that are not right. Things where I go my own way, where I'm selfish and I don't recognize you. Sin. I'm sorry and I ask that you would forgive me accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus' sacrifice that he died for me. And with the rest of my life, I want to follow him and follow your example, God. Amen. If you've prayed that today, do come and talk to me or Lee or I didn't forget his name, James, or the person that you came with. Um, come and find one of us. Tell us. We'd love to know. We want to celebrate with you because we love when people come into our family. Now, if you have been baptized, if you're a Christian and you want to receive the Holy Spirit, this is a really easy one. It's one of my favorite prayers to pray. I never get it wrong. Hold your hands out in front of you. that yearning on your heart I don't know what it is for other people for me it's always a I want to know you God I want to know you with that yearning on your heart we simply pray 
come, Holy Spirit, fill us. discord we're still asking the Holy Spirit to fill us you let go of the discord you let go of the resentment you tell God about it you take your grubby little mitts off it and we pray come Holy Spirit fill us now God is so holy sin can't exist where he is 